I think it's fair to say that one of the most misused words in the English language is the word faith. For many people, the word faith means the opposite of reason or the alternative to thought. So there are people who think and there are people who have faith. Then when it comes to people who claim that they do have faith, and they explain what they mean by faith, it often comes down to believing whatever I feel like believing. If I would like something to be true, I'll believe it is true. Now the Bible does not agree with either of those ideas about faith. It does not agree that faith is the opposite of reason. And it doesn't agree faith means believing whatever you want to believe. But the Bible does tell us faith is the key to living wisely and well in this world. In the passage we looked at last Sunday morning, the writer of Hebrews quoted from the Old Testament, My righteous one will live by faith. Then the writer of Hebrews said to the Christians who were reading his letter, We belong to those who have faith. Those statements are just begging to be explained. What does it mean to have faith and live by faith? Well, Hebrews chapter 11 is a chapter where the writer is going to show us. In one sense, Hebrews chapter 11 is a bit like somebody lifting up the bonnet and giving you a guided tour of the engine. I could do with one of those in my car. I don't really know what I'm looking at. Well, this chapter really is a guided tour of faith. But it's also a history of God's faithfulness. So in two senses, our passage this morning is the story of faith. We're only going to look at the first part of the chapter this morning. It's the story of how faith works and how God has shown himself to be worthy of our faith. So if you haven't already opened your Bibles there, you'll find Hebrews 11 in the church Bibles on page 1209 and the large print Bibles 1873. And today we're just going to look at verses 1 to 16. Verse 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was commanded as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commanded as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah 
when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children, because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so, from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. This is God's word. The chapter starts by giving us a definition of faith. In verse 1, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. In fact, the words translated confidence and assurance are a little bit stronger than those English words. Another translation says faith means we are certain of the things we hope for, convinced of the things we do not see. So it's important to grasp the faith we're talking about today is not mere optimism. Optimism is hoping for the best. The moment Theresa May might say, I'm optimistic about winning the election. These days, no politician is going to say, I'm certain about winning. But this chapter is not about optimism. It's about being convinced. Convinced about things we do not see. We'll come back to that last part. But having learned in verse 1 what kind of faith we're going to hear about, verse 2 tells us how we're going to hear about it. Tells us this definition in verse 1 is going to be fleshed out for us by looking at the lives of the ancients. That's God's people in the Old Testament. By looking at their lives, we'll see what it means to be certain of the things we hope for and convinced of the things we do not see. By faith is the catchphrase of this whole long chapter. It's going to be used of many different people. That's the introduction. Then verse 3 gives us our first distinctive of biblical faith. By faith... We understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen 
was not made out of what was visible. That is a really interesting statement. It's interesting because it flies in the face of how the word faith gets used today. Look again just at the first four words. By faith, we understand. I said a moment ago, faith is often assumed to be the opposite of reason or the alternative to thought. But that is not how the Bible defines faith. Here we are told, faith uses reason and thought. Understanding is the product of reason and thought. We do not say, I understand, about things we believe blindly. We say, I understand, when we've thought something through and it makes sense. Verse 3 tells us, faith reasons things out. And it comes to understand the way things are. That's why verse 1 could talk about being certain and being convinced. We don't use those kind of words when we just have good feelings about something. We use them when we understand something. And in verse 3 we're told, faith understands there is an unseen reality. When we first read that verse, you might think it's time to have a debate about creation versus evolution. But actually, verse 3 deals with a much more fundamental question than that. The theory of evolution is about how life came to be so varied. It's an idea about how life developed. The theory of evolution doesn't even try to answer the question of how the material world came about in the first place. In fact, I've heard a scientist from the Higgs boson project say this. The question of beginnings is a question for theologians, not scientists. So whatever you might or might not believe about evolution is not relevant here. There are other parts of scripture we could bring into that discussion. What verse 3 is telling us is that when we think through the question of how this material world came about, we come to understand there must be an unseen reality behind the things we can see. Verse 3 calls that unseen reality God. There was a time when this material world did not exist. Not even at the level of gases and particles floating in space. And then at a point in time material things did exist. They began. And what brought about that change is a much more basic issue than how material things developed and became varied. And what verse 3 is telling us, when you and I think through that basic idea, that basic issue of the beginning, we come to understand there must be an unseen reality that gave rise to the things we can see, this material world. 
But why do we talk about that understanding under the heading of faith? Because although we can be convinced about it, we can't see it. It's conviction about unseen reality. And faith is assurance about what we do not see. So Tim Keller says, faith is more than reason, but it cannot be less than reason. The unseen world makes sense of the seen. Hebrews says, think it through and you'll understand that. Biblical faith understands there is an unseen reality. But it goes further than that. Biblical faith believes God is knowable. Verses 4 through 6 deal with Abel and Enoch. Both of those men are mentioned very briefly in Genesis chapters 4 and 5. Very briefly. And we have no record of God communicating with either of those men. As far as we know, they received no word or no promise from God. And yet we're told Abel brought God a better offering than his brother Cain. We're told Enoch was commended as one who pleased God. So what was it that made those men stand out? It was their faith. And the content of their faith is explained in verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Abel and Enoch had no word from God, but they went further than simply understanding there's an unseen reality. These men didn't simply believe God exists. As they looked at the world God had brought into being, they became confident of something else. God rewards those who earnestly seek him. They came to the conviction the unseen God wants to be sought and known. And the implication is, That conviction was what made Abel's Abel's offering better than his brother Cain's. It wasn't what he brought, it was the faith behind it. That was what made Enoch pleasing to God. It was this conviction that God doesn't simply want to be appeased by his creation with some offerings on the altar. Anything will do for that. No, these men had the conviction that God wants his creation to seek him and know him. And not in a half-hearted way. Faith goes after him earnestly. Faith goes after him convinced that in him we will find our greatest satisfaction. Biblical faith doesn't stop with the reality of the unseen world. It's not content to think of God like a force or an energy or some first cause. Biblical faith asks the question, what kind of a God would have taken this care over creation? And biblical faith reaches the conclusion, only a God who cares would have taken this much care. 
Only a God who wanted to know and be known by his creation. And if we were able to find and know a God like that, that would be the greatest reward. To know the creator would be better than anything we could find in this created world. According to verses 5 and 6, God found that kind of faith in Abel and Enoch. And he commanded it. He found it pleasing. And so the application is for all of us, let's not be content with a vague notion of God. What sense does it really make to say there is a being so great he could make this material world but I'm going to assume he did it carelessly. I'm going to assume it was a throwaway project. I'm going to assume he has no interest in it today. Surely it makes a lot more sense to say a God who created wants to know and be known by his creation. And to find him would be the greatest thing. Biblical faith goes further still. It responds to God's call. Verses 7 and 8. When you and I come to understand that God exists, when we come to believe he is knowable, then if he makes himself known to us, We will stake everything on his word to us. Whatever Abel and Enoch knew of God, there is a new development when we get to Noah. Noah hears from God. Verse 7. By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Genesis 6 records God's word to Noah. It came in the form of a warning about a worldwide flood. That's what verse 7 means by things not yet seen. In Noah's day, a flood was not foreseen by anybody. It was not expected before God announced it. In fact, building an ark in preparation for a flood must have seemed absolutely ridiculous to Noah's neighbors. But Noah did it. Because he held God's word in the highest regard. That's what verse 7 means by, in holy fear he built an ark. Noah knew an encounter with God was worth a wholehearted response. Building the ark for Noah meant staking everything on God's word. It wasn't something Noah could just potter away at in the privacy of his back garden without anyone noticing. The scale of the thing meant it had to be all-consuming. You don't achieve something like that half-heartedly. You don't do it without staking your entire reputation on it. Responding to God's call is going to alter the whole direction of your life. And when you and I hear God's call today, through his written word, it's no different. 
It is a call on our whole life. But when we're talking about a call from God, the unseen maker of the world, it makes no sense to kind of take it seriously. What else is there to do but stake everything on it? Noah did. And we're told his faith condemned the world. This world that lives purely on the basis of what is seen. The foolishness of that was exposed by Noah, who based his life on what is unseen. And that faith made Noah an heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith, or the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah lived long, long before the new covenant in Christ's blood. But Noah is an heir to the benefits of that new covenant. He shares in the righteousness Christ provides. Why? Because he had genuine faith in the God who would later send Jesus. The genuineness of Noah's faith was seen in his response to God's call. He staked everything on it. We find the same thing with Abraham as we read on. And by the way, when God's word came to him, Abraham was not living a dead-end life. He came from a prominent family, he had wealth, and he had status. Abraham was not looking for a new start in life. But look at verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. This is a man who had everything going for him in his home, Ur of the Chaldeans. And God says, go. Just go. And later I'll show you where. The text presents Abraham's response as immediate. He obeyed and went. Who would do that? Someone who understands there is an unseen reality. Someone who believes God is knowable. A person with that certainty is going to jump in response to God's call. If that kind of person has the privilege of hearing from God, they will obey with bells on. Because a person like that realizes there could be nothing more important than my relationship with God. A call from this God beats anything else that could hold me or move me. Abraham didn't say, a call from God, what an inconvenience, I had so many other plans. Abraham said, what an awesome thing. I can't miss this. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm on my way. And this is not irrational faith. No doubt it seemed that way to Abraham's neighbors and Noah's neighbors. But do you see, this is the rational outcome of understanding that God exists and that God can be known. If he then makes himself known, 
It's the most sensible thing in the world to drop everything and respond to his call. It would be crazy to turn away. And then as Abraham goes, not knowing where he's going, God makes promises to him. These words are from Genesis chapter 12. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Then later God pinpoints Canaan as the land he's going to give Abraham. So now the creator God has revealed he is also the covenant God. The promise making God. Now faith has even more reason for confidence and for assurance. The creator has bound himself. And in Genesis, God did that with an unprecedented thing. In the ancient world, people who entered into covenants went through an elaborate ritual. And earlier we read in Genesis 15 how God subjected himself to the covenant ritual. His presence passed between those animals that had been cut in two and laid out on the path. And the symbolism of that was, may I be cut and broken if I break this covenant. When the creator God binds himself with covenant promises, then faith has all the more reason to trust him. All the more reason to live life convinced God will keep his promises. And so faith looks to the promised future. And it keeps looking to the promised future, even when present circumstances seem to deny the future. That is how Abraham lived. Verse 9 points out, even when Abraham arrived in Canaan, he was like a stranger living in tents. His son and his grandson were the same, Isaac and Jacob. Patience was needed. Patiently holding on to the promise, holding on to the trustworthiness of the God who made the promise. Faith lives today in light of the blessings God has promised. Even though we don't have those blessings today. And verse 10 tells us that experience of being a stranger in Canaan It caused Abraham to look beyond Canaan, to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. A life of living in tents taught Abraham about the lack of foundations we have in this life. It taught him nothing is permanent and secure in this life. Our only security comes from being connected to God. Our only security comes from having our roots in the unseen world. 
Faith knows the only city with unshakable foundations is the city that's still ahead of us. The end of the Bible describes a city called the New Jerusalem. It's the place where heaven finally comes to earth. The unseen world joins with the seen world. Abraham died without entering that city. Now he did have tokens of the future. Verses 11 and 12 mention that he and Sarah were able to have a child despite their very advanced age. So in their lifetime, they did see God move the promised future a few steps closer. But they still lived out their lives in faith. Sure of what God would do, but not yet seeing him do it. And verse 13 is speaking of Abraham's family when it says, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were strangers, foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Faith keeps these people going. Not blind faith. Not faith in some strange voice out of the blue. Remember, this is faith based on the understanding that there is an unseen reality. Nothing else makes sense of the world we see. This is faith which believes the unseen God can be known and wants to be known. Then when God's call comes, faith responds. When God's promise comes, faith trusts the promise and holds on to the promise and lives with confidence in the promise. Even when it still seems far away. Tom Wright explains verse 16 like this. He says, God is not ashamed to be associated with this strange little nomadic family, to be seen in their company and known as their God. He loves them. He has called them. They believe in him. They trust him. They are taking him at his word. Living by his promise. Trusting him even through death. And the New Testament tells us God's people today are part of this nomadic family. First Peter calls Christians to live our lives as foreigners here. Because that's what we are. You have to remember that in the midst of all the palaver over Brexit and Britishness and British values. We must never forget, as Christians, we are foreigners and strangers on this earth, wherever we live in it. I'm not saying that patriotism is a bad thing. 
But in the heart of a Christian, patriotism can only have a strictly limited place. We are citizens of another country, a heavenly one. And the same goes for our home, our postcode address. We might have a nice place, we might have it fixed up just the way we want it. But let's not forget, we are homeless in this present world. By faith, we live our lives looking to the promised future. And if Abraham had good reason to be certain about the future, how much greater reason do you and I have? Remember how God confirmed his promise to Abraham with that ceremony that said, may I be cut and broken if I break this covenant. Well, you and I know God has gone even further than that. We know he confirmed his new covenant by being cut and broken on the cross. He died so covenant breakers like you and me could live. So we could have our brokenness healed. When you and I look at the cross, we have every reason to live by faith. And as Christians, we are not optimists who are just hoping for the best. We're men and women who understand there is an unseen world. Nothing else makes sense of the world we see. And this unseen world has entered our world. God himself came to find us. He made himself known in the person of Jesus Christ. He sealed his ancient promises with his own blood. We have every reason to live with certainty and conviction about the future. And if you're not a Christian... Maybe it's time to rethink your understanding of faith. The Bible tells us faith thinks things through. And faith comes to understand there is nothing more crucial than knowing the God who came to find you and call you. Listen to his word and obey him. Trust the promises he sealed with his own blood. We have an opportunity to respond now in faith as we sing together. By faith we see the hand of God. It's a song really based on this chapter. And then we'll close by looking up to our God as we sing, Behold Our God.